Good morning. We'll be reading from Acts chapter 2 and verses 14 to uh, 41. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this day to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out of my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God said this about him. I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made me to know the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an on oath that he would place, on one of his, place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see the key. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of this fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, 
sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were caught to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the word of God. entitled the message this morning, Being True to Ourselves, as a way to think about preaching and the center of preaching for early Christians and for witness amongst the early Christians and for us today. This past week, I had the opportunity to have uh, a breakfast with uh, a young friend of mine named Aaron. Aaron is a, uh, a student athlete at Ryerson University, and over the last uh, couple of years, he's, because of his uh, success, been one of the most celebrated, um, one of the celebrated male athletes in of university uh, competition across the country. Uh, something that's embarrassing to Aaron is that if you walk into the, the lobby of Maple Leaf Gardens, the Mattamy Sports Center, uh, on College Street, there is a banner uh, celebrating Aaron's success, which is so large that it would dominate um, this entire room just by being on one wall. Uh, it's about 25 feet high, and uh, I've been going to Maple Leaf Gardens to watch the Leafs since I can remember, and even before I can remember, and I don't recall any Maple Leaf having a banner quite that size. Um, but the beautiful thing about Aaron is that he's a humble man, and even better than his academic success and his athletic prowess uh, on skates, um, Aaron is a follower of Jesus Christ, and a serious one. And so we are having this breakfast in order to kind of debrief on his year, because he's finishing his time at Ryerson graduating. And we were debriefing on his life and his ministry over the four years at Ryerson. He's moving on to um, do his master's at another Canadian university and a competitor of, uh, of Ryerson. And so in the course of the conversation, he said this to me. So Paul, he said, you know, I've come to the realization in this last year at school that more than anything else, I want to be true to myself. 
I said, Aaron, tell me, tell me what, that, what that means. And he said, you know, he said, I've, had a, I've been given all kinds of doors, open doors, for friendships with my teammates and with my fellow students. And he said, but you know, something in me, um, something in me is sort of holding me back. And he said, you know, you know for instance, he said, uh, I've decided that I need to be true to myself, so last week, I bought a book for my seven closest teammates, and it's a book that is just more clearly than I have been able to state before, just more clearly talks to them about who Jesus is. And he said, I've just decided in this year that I need to be true to myself as a disciple of Jesus. This passage today starts with the Apostle Peter being completely true to himself. I mean, it's written dramatically. There's some criticism after this display of the Holy Spirit in the speaking of tongues. And Luke writes that Peter stood up and addressed the crowd. And those of us who've been following the story of Jesus and his disciples through Luke's gospel know that it's always Peter who stands up and addresses somebody. He's taking somebody to task. He's asking somebody a question. He's pushing his agenda. He's challenging Jesus himself. He's sometimes wanting to play God himself. But Peter is always at the front of the pack or wanting to be at the front of the pack. He gets outraced by John uh, to the empty tomb. Poor Peter. But the women already were there. So poor John and Peter, maybe. But Peter is the mouthpiece. He's the spokesman. He's the one who sometimes too quickly speaks first, but now he is placed in the story of the ministry of the Holy Spirit as the spokesman, and something is rearranged in his speech. Something's been changed. Something's been transformed. Something's been perfected. All of the kind of the dangling pieces in Peter's argumentation and thinking and speaking of the past, those things are gone away and there's a kind of a power and a clarity that you see as Peter punctuates for the crowd what is going on. And what Peter does in his response is, as far as I can see, there are a few key pieces that he takes care of. First of all, he speaks directly and specifically and beautifully about Jesus. To read this passage that Dennis just read for us, Jesus is the center of Peter's story. This is the Jesus who Peter has been watching for three years, sometimes misunderstanding, sometimes misinterpreting. But he has been living with Jesus, he has been ministering with Jesus, he has been learning from Jesus, he's been arguing with Jesus. But when it comes to this time of crisis that we see after the coming of the Holy Spirit, he wants to speak about Jesus. He also, in the middle of this ministry, makes a suggestion that one of the ways for the people listening to come into this same understanding of Jesus is to turn away from their own plans and desires and strategies. The word is repent 
and to turn to Jesus in order to receive the forgiveness of God. Here's the beautiful thing, though. It's hard for a lot of us to try to think about ourselves as talking to other people about repentance. We just cannot help um, judging ourselves even before we feel the judgment of others to use that kind of language of repentance. And in fact, if you read this passage in ones, with one stream in mind, it feels like Peter is being rather judgmental. He, he accuses his Jewish compatriots from all over the place with really being responsible for the death of Jesus. And he repeats it not just once, but a couple of times. Who you crucified. Who you conspired with evil men to put him to death. But here's the piece to remember. You can just see it. It's not in the words, but it's between the lines, and it's in the story. Why can Peter say that so boldly and with such confidence? Because Peter can say, I deny Jesus. I forsook him. I abandoned him. I left him to die. I didn't do anything. Actually, I'm as, as guilty as you are. And there's something in the fact that it's Peter, just when you think, oh no, why is Peter given this role? Why couldn't it have been John or James or someone just a little bit more articulate, some, someone with a little bit more theological or moral pizzazz than Peter? But of course it has to be Peter here. Not anyone can just stand up and just say, everybody needs to repent and be like me. And it's hard for us to be put in a situation where we think that somehow in sharing the good news of Jesus, we are demanding that people repent and become like us. Without first going through the hard work of realizing that the people that we are inviting to repent are people just like us, and that somehow in our forgiveness, we know with all of our hearts how beautiful that is to be loved and forgiven by God. And to realize how attractive that can be. And this plays itself out in this passage. These people, after hearing Peter's preaching, they are cut to the heart. They, 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 they want to repent. They ask, what do we have to do? And lots of people come to faith this day. The other thing that Peter does, along with focusing on Jesus and articulating the life of forgiveness, is he relies on resources that make sense to him and make sense to his audience. This is an important piece. If we are a people called Peter, if we are people who are called to be gospel witnesses in the world with our friends and our families and our colleagues. A really great hint in this passage is that Peter works with resources that will touch the minds and the hearts of his audience. He refers to the prophet Joel. 
And he uses Joel's prophecy of the coming of the Holy Spirit in order to speak in a contemporary context about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He refers to David. And I mean, in Jewish history, if you want to play your ace, you go to David, the man after God's own heart, who was also an adulterer and a liar and a murderer. But it doesn't matter. You play the David card with Jewish people if you want to start the conversation somewhere, somehow. And Peter is smart enough in the Holy Spirit to know that David is a place to go. And so he makes that connection between David and with Jesus in order to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of David's experience. passage like this in a sermon called How to Be True to Ourselves or How to Stay True to Ourselves as God's People, as Disciples of Jesus, raises that question of and identifies for us all of the temptations that we have not to stay true to ourselves. In those kinds of conversations and in those relationships with people, Sometimes we feel a lot easier to talk about our faith, to talk about the way of Jesus and the opportunity of Jesus with some people. And other people just frighten us. Other contexts frighten us. The work environment that we heard about today frightens us. We all really need a boss who plays Christian praise and worship music in the morning. That would make life so much easier as disciples of Jesus. But I know a lot of people who work in environments that don't think any of their colleagues have any clue about who Jesus is or care. And so we're tempted, like Peter was, around the crucifixion, around that fire, we're tempted to keep quiet. We're tempted to change the topic. We're tempted often to avoid the subject, to, to just with some people, just to kind of protect the friendship, just not to go there because we don't feel like we have the tact or We don't have the words, we don't have the confidence, maybe we don't feel like we have the faith that we need. But what Aaron, my friend Aaron, the hockey player at Ryerson, and what Peter recognized is that when you bring Jesus into the center, that Jesus becomes way more relatable than even we, his followers, give him credit for. Peter, in his three-year friendship with Jesus, was always wanting to make Jesus more relatable. He was always trying to just kind of tweak Jesus and his message and his perspective a little bit, just to, to make more sense in the cultural and the political milieu. But here he doesn't seem to have that kind of political or spiritual correctness about him. Here he just wants to talk about Jesus who people killed and who was raised again and who sits at the right hand of God the Father and who's pouring out the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, on people. When you start rehearsing that message, it's a message that just bounds with goodness, bounds with overflow, bounds with grace. I remember one of my professors in seminary 
on a course on Christian apologetics and world religions, one of the things that he would say, and he was a guy who was really into the philosophical arguments, he was really into the historicity issues, but at the end of every class, he would always remind us, bring Jesus to the conversation, and I guarantee you that Jesus will do his work. Bring Jesus to the conversation. Put Jesus on the table. Include Jesus in the story. And in ways that you can't control, that you can't narrate, that you can't argue your way into, Jesus will do his work. It's easy to forget that. It's easy sometimes to want to be confident, want to be smart, and, and, and want to have all of the arguments and all of the ways. Billy Graham The American evangelist once wrote, the human heart is the same all over the world. Only Jesus Christ can meet the deepest needs of our world and of our hearts. Christ alone can bring that lasting peace, peace with God, peace among human beings and nations, peace within our hearts. Peter turns to his crowd and He says in a a line that's translated, save yourselves from this wicked generation. And actually, the the dominant translation is probably not quite accurate. And actually, because of the the structure of the language that it's written in, the better pronounce is is, is that he says to them, be open or become open to being rescued or saved. Become open. Who of us can't? Articulate that to somebody that we are in a serious conversation or relationship with. Invite any people to become open. You can even become open to what they're thinking about. That's the nature of relationship. That's the nature of the conversation. But Peter's saying, just become open to this. Open your hearts to this. This is what we can ask people as we remain true to ourselves. Some of you remember a couple of weeks ago, it was actually a really strange and stunning evening on television in our nation when the community of Humboldt, Saskatchewan, gathered to grieve and to mourn the loss of 16 members of the Humboldt Broncos hockey team that were killed so tragically in that accident with the transport truck out west. The interesting thing in that, it was shown live on CNN, but it was also shown in national television in Canada. And it was shown from the beginning to the very end, including the chaplain of the hockey team's sermon. I mean, it was a broken and gut-wrenching sermon. He's a guy who's not looking for um, the stage, never in a million years wanted to be in that situation with humility swirling in the talk and in the room with the prime minister sitting a few rows away listening. Sean Brando told the story 
of his conversation with the hockey coach, Darcy Hahn, who had lost his life in the accident. He told the story about how early in the season when he was speaking with the coach about what they would talk about in chapel with the players. And he recounted in his sermon at this really difficult situation, he talks about how the coach, and he talked about values and how on the back of the bus, the theme of the Humboldt Broncos was character determines success. And he says and tells a story about how, so they wanted to talk about character. They wanted to talk about character and success as the main theme. And then the pastor and the chaplain turned the story by saying that then Darcy, the hockey coach, turned to me and he said, Sean, you have got to tell these players about Jesus. He said, don't worry about the character piece. These people need Jesus, and you have got to tell them about Jesus. And so in that talk, in a very simple and straightforward way, that actually parallels Peter's sermon in almost eerily in a few places, the pastor for thousands and thousands of Canadians to hear, says that he did not want to dishonor the memory of Darcy the hockey coach. And so he shared the story of Jesus. He said, you need Jesus. He's walked here. He walked it first, and death couldn't hold him. Death couldn't hold him. He's alive, and he sits at the right hand of God on the throne, and he is in control even if it doesn't feel like he is, but he is. And I'm bumping into people all the time who, when they find out what I do, actually want to talk about that television, want to talk about that sermon. My neighbors and others that I bump into, friends in hockey and sports and in all kinds of ways, because there was a picture of a disciple of Jesus being completely true to himself. A terrible context, a context that he would never have dreamed of in a million years, a difficult context, even a difficult context from the standpoint of public speaking. How in the world do we become confident enough to stay true to ourselves in a culture that we know that makes it difficult for us just to tell our story? as a way to offer good news to other people. I don't have to go into the political, philosophical, ethical nexus of our culture that makes this difficult, even in difficult times. But how do we do this? One is, I think that we do what Peter did and what he models here. You know, in the Gospels, Peter is trying to, to, to figure out Jesus. And he, he is, for whatever reason, staying on the surface of who Jesus is. He's looking for holes in Jesus' teaching and ministry, just like a lot of other people are. And he's saying that he believes long before he really understands what believing is. And he 
testifies to who Jesus' identity is before he has any clue what that identity means for Jesus, never mind means for Peter. Talks before he thinks, thinks, acts before he thinks, just does about everything before he thinks. But in the time between the death and resurrection of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit, there's evidence that Peter has gone deeper with Jesus in his memory. There's evidence that he has mined in a more particular way what Jesus came to do. And the idea is not that this is just a slick, that this is a slick sermon. The idea is that this is Peter going to the very depth of his soul with the power of God in him to be able to understand finally and articulate clearly in a way that is life-changing for his listeners by being able to articulate who Jesus is. We have an opportunity to do that. The Christian story is a growth story. It's not a one and done. It's not a get in and sit down and stop and stall. It's the beginning of a journey. Peter began that journey, and it, for Peter, if you, you know, if you mind the episodes in Peter's journey, it's an ugly kind of an embarrassing journey. And one that is so beautifully able to, to open the door for us to identify with it because, my goodness, we are kind of a peeper, people called Peter. The second thing is, is that Peter has gone deep on forgiveness. As he talks about baptism and the forgiveness of sins, he knows from his own experience that this being loved and forgiven by God is life-changing. Who can ever remember that walk of Peter the first time that he and Jesus are connected after the resurrection and they're on the beach together and you can just tell at the end of John's gospel, G Peter is waiting to get it between the eyes for his abandoning Jesus. But it never happens. There's no browbeating. There's now no taking Peter back and just grinding him over the mill of his insincerity and his unfaithfulness. Instead, it's a go-forward conversation. It's a, Jesus reinstates him without a long lecture or a series of lectures and offers Peter a new beginning. And Peter realizes that to know the living God through Jesus Christ means that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you're still doing, that separates you from God's goodness and kindness, there is always, every day, every person, every opportunity, a way forward. A way to move from the past. We've made repentance such a terrible word. But for Peter, it's a beautiful word because he's experienced the God side of repentance, which means new life and new ministry and new opportunities to get other people to experience the same. And then here's the kicker. If you're worried about being true to yourself in this complex culture as a committed Christian, this whole story of Acts is about the Holy Spirit. It's about the very presence and power of the living God 
being activated in the lives of human beings for the salvation of the world. Some of these people are screw-ups. Some of these people get it wrong. Some of these people, when you look back on their past, you just cringe with how in the world are they included in God's plan and purpose. And yet, they are overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit, and the door opens, and they walk through it. They see someone riding by in a chariot, and they jump on. They engage in conversations. They engage in healing. They engage in debate. They make wise decisions. But always at the center of the story is the Holy Spirit. Why shouldn't we imagine ourselves as a community and as people so totally filled with the Holy Spirit that when you walk through the door, you're confident that you walk into a conversation, that you're confident that God will give you the words, that he'll give you the heart, that the Spirit will guide you. The Spirit is with you and in you and accomplishing God's purposes. The week before Easter, a seasoned lawyer contacted me and said that he wanted to talk. His specialty is land development. It's amazing being with this guy downtown Toronto. He knows about the first building on the property and then the second generation of the building and then the third generation is just, it's a fascination to walk through the corridors of the financial district with this guy. A talent, kind of a genius. He walks into the coffee shop and he sits down and I didn't realize that he wanted to talk about his heart. He sits down beside me and I said, hey, you know, how's it going? And he said, uh, yeah, it's, uh, um, I won't use all of the language, but he said, yeah, he said, it's uh, not going very good. I'm going for triple bypass surgery. And I said what I think a lot of you would say. I would say, well, you know, triple bypass surgery. I mean, my grandfather had it, and he lived, uh, you know, I mean, every, it's, it's a simple thing. You know, these people are trained, you know, the, 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 nothing to worry about. And he said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to make it. And then I wanted to use language that I can't repeat, but I, I didn't. I just, I just said, like, like, what are you talking about? Like, like you know, it's a St. Mike's. It's a great hospital. Like, it's just like he goes, no. Nah. He said, it's the karma. I said, like, what do you mean the karma? He goes, well, he said, you know, you, know, we, you don't know me, but 10 years ago, uh, you know, I was at my dad's funeral and I had a heart attack. And I was rushed away from my dad's funeral. I had a heart attack and... I went for tests and they told me all these things I needed to do and he said, you know, I did them like everybody does them for eight or nine months and then I got completely bored and he said for the last nine years, he said, I, I haven't been doing any of it. He said, like, I had my chance and my chances, he said, I'm done and he said, I, I just, I know I'm not going to make it and he said, I'm just not ready to die. <laughs> oh, man. I, you know, I don't know how talented you think I am, but I'm not that talented. And so I just, you know, set my coffee and I said, the world doesn't work by karma. I said, it runs by grace. He said, what, you know, what the heck does that mean? I said, it, it means that 
None of us deserve a second chance. But the thing is, we're all given chance after chance after chance. It just keeps on flowing. And then deep within my soul, where profound insecurity and confidence often clash within us, I found these words. I said to him, I'm telling you right now, you are not going to die. And I'm going to pray for you that out the other side, you come to recognize that the world is run by grace and not by karma. And if you're trying to figure out what it looks like that the Holy Spirit that Peter and the disciples are articulating and that we are celebrating, that's what it looks like. It doesn't look like Paul Johansson. It doesn't look like any of you. It looks like God's Spirit starting where we don't have a clue what to say and giving us a place to start in pointing to Jesus. Please pray for me. Tomorrow afternoon, I drive up to Richmond Hill to visit my lawyer friend at his home where he's convalescing and in a lot of pain and complaining a lot about his situation. My friend Aaron, the Apostle Peter, and us, we know that Jesus came to forgive us and to transform us in order to walk in faith in the world, announcing him as good news. And today what we want to say is that we believe that Jesus is pouring out the Holy Spirit on his daughters and his sons so that we can remain true to ourselves, true to the people he has won and he has forgiven and he has saved and he is calling because of his death and his resurrection. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, receive this good news.